I started writing Food for the Archons as a book of despair after watching my father die in 2013. During his transition, I experienced a series of paranormal and psychic events that left me feeling that I had either gone completely crazy or fell into humanity's darkest secret. I spent the next five years conducting extensive research, and I quickly learned that what I had experienced was real. My journey brought me to an understanding that showed me that despite the terrifying reality of an unseen predator, we as humans have a forgotten power. Just knowing this brings us tremendous hope in what once seemed a dark reality. I wrote this book for me in hopes of gaining a better understanding of our reality and relationship to it, but my hope is that you will find as much value in reading it as I did in writing it. I am human, food for the Archons, humanity's psychic connections, simulated realities, parallel worlds, and the manipulation of mankind. It's available on Amazon.com and at SixthSenseMedia.net and wherever books are sold. I'm Dennis Nappy II, reminding you to let your intuition be your guide. Thank you. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here because you know something. What you know you can't explain, but you feel it. You felt it your entire life. There's something wrong in the world. You don't know what it is, but it's there. Abductions, visitations, AI, and the simulated reality. What do they have in common tonight? We're going to explore their connections as we look at some new information and revisit some old information and connect them all together. That paints possibly a, a very unique picture of our present, our past, our future, and the interconnectedness of all of them. Hello, Truth Seekers. Dennis Nappy II with Sixth Sense Media back on the air 2020. Here we go. It's going to be a challenging year, but an excellent year. Got a lot of big things planned for the podcast. I missed every single one of you. I missed being on the air over the past couple of weeks. The holidays were busy and I had some other things going on. I tried getting on the air last week and it's weird. The uh, What I want to talk about tonight just it just wasn't ready in my mind, and I, had, I came into some more information, uh, and here I am getting it together and putting it out now for all of you to digest and comment on. Quick announcement also, YouTube channel, I'm working back on that again, putting some more archived stuff up there on YouTube, so if you're more of a fan of YouTube, please check out that channel, like, and subscribe it. Subscribe to it. I want to share a, uh, a review I got. I just put my new commercial up uh, for Food for the Archons. I try not to hit you guys with that stuff too much, but I am trying to uh, promote this book, and I haven't had any time to do it since I published it. Um, but I got a, a fantastic review from uh, my friend Mark. I want a big, big thank you to Mark, uh, who wrote this review. Uh, I'm so proud of it. You know, in seeing what he got from the book, um, it, it's exactly what I was hoping my readers would get. So I want to share this with all of you. If, you, if you've read the book, uh, I, I would ask that you take the time to please uh, please write a review for me. That's, that's very helpful. But I want to share this with you real quick. Dennis Nappy II, host of The Secret Podcast, a weekly show that explores the paranormal and supernatural, continues his quest for the truth about humanity and food for the archons. The second installment in his book series, I Am Human. Nappy possesses a sixth sense that is as natural to him as the other five senses are to the rest of us. His journey is sparked by the slow, torturous death of his father, 
a tragedy that empowered him to perceive the external forces that prey on human suffering. Using this event as his North Star, Nappy, through exhaustive research, uncovers these predators that feed off our fears. He highlights one example after another in order to articulate a notion that is downright scary to consider, but nonetheless plausible for the deepest of thinkers, that we as humans produce an energy that sustains unseen parasites that cause destruction and pain. Food for the Archons is as awe-inspiring as it is fear-inducing, as enlightening as it is head-scratching. As Nappy writes, there is hope that we can rid the world of these parasites that rely on us for nourishment. But it is up to us, through our decisions, through our actions, through our love, through our joy, to create such a world where our predators face extinction. Food for the Archons is a must-read for anyone who believes there is more to the world than meets the eye. Grab your copy today, and you'll begin to find meaning in things you never thought you had any. You'll feel compelled to contribute to a new reality, one we are free from the oppressors that take, that often make us spectators instead of participants in our own lives. A big thank you to Mark uh, again. This is huge. Um, that, that that's such a powerful review for me. Uh, I, I'm so proud in reading that because I was hoping that my readers would would catch that. I asked him to write a review, but I didn't. I said, "Be honest," and that's all that I said. Um, I didn't edit it. I didn't influence in any way, and uh, that's what he came up with. So, uh, a big thank you. I'm very uh, proud of that review. Okay, a couple things in the news, and then I want to get into uh, all this information that I have here. I've got some uh, some data from Linda Moulton Howe, who's a fantastic researcher. Some stuff from Whitley Strieber that he's covered, and uh, I got some news stories talking about Lou Elizondo and uh, and beyond. So I'm going to get into that first. Let's talk about the news, and then let's get into this crazy reality that we live in. All right, speaking of crazy reality and the uh, future becoming the present now, here we go. This comes from NPR. Space Force Bible blessing at National Cathedral sparks outrage. The blessings of what's being called the official Bible for the new U.S. Space Force at the Washington National Cathedral on Sunday is drawing an outpouring of criticism on social media and condemnation from a prominent religious freedom advocacy group. Quote, the Military Religious Freedom Foundation, MRFF, condemns in as full-throated uh, a manner as humanly possible the shocking and repulsive display of the only the most vile, exclusivist, fundamentalist Christian supremacy. MRFF founder and president Mikey Weinstein wrote in a statement denouncing the Bible blessing. The utilization of a Christian Bible to swear in commanders of the new Space Force or any other Department of Defense branch or any level is completely uh, volative of the bedrock separation of church and state mandated the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. He goes on to talk about their disgust with this here. Uh, and, and let's see. I'm going to skip ahead here. Accept this Bible, which we dedicate here for the United States Space Force, intones Reverend Randolph Hollerith, Dean of the National Cathedral, that all may so diligently search your holy word to find in it wisdom that leads to peace and salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The blessing of the Bible also f uh, features flattering words for President Trump, who strongly advocated for creating the Space Force from the Episcopal Church's Bishop Suffragan of the Armed Forces. Almighty God, who sets the planets in their courses and the stars in space, the Reverend Carl Wright implores, look with favor, we pray you upon the Commander-in-Chief, 45th President of this great nation, who looked to the heavens and dared to dream of a, of a safer future for all of mankind. And it goes on. Look, my main point in sharing this is uh, they're swearing on a Bible, again, tying it to the religious 
um, really the rulers here of the planet. I'm going to leave it at that, but that's sending a big message about who is really running things here. All right, I want to move on here. Uh, I was going to get into more of this in, in greater detail, but I'm going to have the links in the show notes for you. I'm going to give you a quick um, rundown of it here. This is from theblackvault.com. It's called Breaking the Silence. Lou Elizondo speaks out on criticism, the Pentagon, the Pentagon disclosure, and the future. I'm skipping about halfway down right here. Um, and it states here, The uncertainties all paled in comparison to what would happen next. The Pentagon dropped a bombshell of their own in June of 2019 and said Elizondo had no, quote, un, uh, no assigned responsibilities on ATIP, the exact program he claimed to have ran. Although worded cryptically, the intentions were clear. Whether truthful or not, the Pentagon now aimed to hurt the credibility of one of their own. The story that the public was fed for a year and a half, which caused so much excitement and confusion, was completely called into question. And that's frustrating. Uh, again, this was June of 2019 that the Pentagon is now saying this about Elizondo. Uh, again, I've, I've always said that uh, To the Stars has not been transparent enough, but I don't really believe what the Pentagon is saying. I think they're just saying this to muddy the waters and play the continued game of uh, deception. Give you a little bit and then take it back and then confuse everybody because that's just the way this is going right now. Uh, so Elizondo finally broke his silence. Excuse me. I'm skipping around. He says here, I gave the Pentagon ample time to deconflict the response and given them the benefit of the doubt that is dysfunction over palace. Unfortunately, I no longer feel this is necessarily the case and therefore it is incumbent upon me to set the record straight. I'm also aware that I still have a clearance and I don't want the Pentagon taking any punitive measures to risk my clearance or our ongoing efforts regarding the, the CRADA. I had my clearance threatened early on and I don't want that being used as leverage to keep me quiet but it's a possibility that they could still try to remove my clearance in order to try to further discredit me. So it goes on. It's an interview with uh, Elizondo. Uh, you know, basically, he's backing up what he's saying. He's saying, but I'm not going to jeopardize my security clearance. He's optimistic that um, in the very near future, more disclosure is going to come out. Uh, you know, basically, this has already started. You're going to have some bumps in the road, a little bit of pushback, but we now have more Navy pilots coming out officially saying that, yes, they did witness these craft, supporting what uh, Elizondo initially said with the A-tip. So I, I encourage you to read this uh, further. I'll have the links in the show notes. Um, ultimately, my opinion, do I think that what the Pentagon stated means that Elizondo is lying? No, I don't think that's what that means. I don't think what the Pentagon is saying, uh, or what Elizondo, I, he worked for the ATIP in my opinion. Um, I, I think this is just another game to try to confuse people, to give people that are holding on to that cognitive dissonance the ability to say, look, that's what the Pentagon said, and it discredits everything. But to those of us in the community that have been studying this for a while, we know that there's much, much more to the story, which we're going to get into. Now, I've had these ideas in my head. I want to get into this discussion now, talking about our reality, um, UFOs, AI, the visitors, are they extraterrestrial? What are they? How does this connect to our reality? How does this relate to us? I feel like this is a topic that I've been studying unknowingly at some points as I've been doing this show, as I've been writing my book. 
I don't know why I got so focused on artificial intelligence other than everything I do is intuitively led. I follow the feeling. I follow where I'm being pulled to. And when you listen to a lot of people in this field, they report a similar method of how they get their information, how they're guided to it. David Icke uh, talks about it, and, and so do many others. And as I was preparing for this show, I went through, uh, I'm going to bring in some Bob Monroe stuff at the end of the show, and I reread the book that was so powerful to me right after my father died, um, and it, it pretty much brought me to tears. Um, I can't fully explain why. I, I understand why, but I don't know that I can fully explain it. I'm going to try to. But this this journey, it's not what it seems. Even in looking at it in terms of AI, bad, altering human consciousness, enslaving our minds, Skynet, bad... I want to propose what may sound hypocritical tonight. And before I get hit by the haters, and, and I really I don't get hit by a lot of haters, but that's always the fear in my mind. I'm a truth seeker. And even if my quest for truth causes me to make a statement that contradicts things I've said in the past or disproves things I've said in the past, I'm going to do that. I'm going to be transparent. Now, I don't think that I'm disproving anything I've said in the past right now, but I do think that through certain lenses, what I'm going to talk about may sound like I'm taking another approach, may sound suggestive of a sellout to the, quote, other side. I assure you that's not what I'm doing here. But I want to explore these thoughts and feelings that I'm having. And I want to share it with all of you and get your thoughts on it as well because something's not adding up. Or maybe it's adding up in a way that I am not expecting, but it feels like I need to explore it. I know I'm being very cryptic and vague, right? So my point is, uh, you know, I've been thinking about this all week. I don't even know how to say it. What if merging with AI is our destiny? What if we have already merged with AI? What if we already are AI? And this transition period we're going through may just be a rough patch of growth. And that everything is a form of AI. And I'm going to back a lot of that up over the next, you know, portion of this show. So where do I begin? Well, I've talked in detail about, and I wrote about it in my book, and I've talked about it on the show, the simulation argument. I'm going to quickly give you some points of reference if you're not familiar with it. I'm not going to go through all the details because that's a whole long discussion. Um, but in looking at this reality as a simulation, we have uh, Nick Bostrom, 
who has the simulation argument he's out of oxford and he basically says that a if a society reaches a level of technological advancement there's a good chance that they will run ancestor simulations um, if they run ancestor simulations there's a possibility that those ancestor simulations will reach a level of technological advancement where they will eventually run ancestor simulations therefore it becomes a simple numbers game of probability saying that there's a greater chance if that is true that we are in a simulation as opposed to us being the base reality there's more simulations and there's only one base reality in this universe anyway Linda Moulton Howe has some good research this is in my book about somebody who stumbled into an alternate universe which if he's telling the truth proves what Nick Bostrom is saying. You have to read the book or check out Linda Moulton Howell's stuff to get it. Yes, I know that's a shameless plug. Um, you've got Philip K. Dick, who has talked about simulated realities, other worlds that he viewed in the dream state and then turned into his books, dystopian futures, dystopian possibilities. Schrodinger's cat, it's both dead and alive inside that box and everything in between. David Icke, I am infinite possibility consciousness having an experience and then you've got professor uh professor gates out of the university of maryland and he said in 2011 with neil degrasse tyson that in studying string theory now professor gates has a very impressive resume even connecting him to president obama he said in studying the equations that make up string theory, he found computer code embedded in those equations. Not just computer code, a very specific type of computer code known as error correcting code. Which in his words, quote, I'm a very strange point in my life when I realize that the Matrix movie may be an accurate representation of the world in which I live. Okay, and there are multiple more um, nodes out there for you to explore that lend at least pause to consider the possibility that this is a, a reality. We are living in a simulation, a computer simulation. I want to touch on Roswell. Uh, and I, I spoke in length about Colonel Corso, uh, Philip J. Corso. And he stated that he suspected that these silicon microchips that he, that were recovered at the Roswell crash were possibly seeded here, meaning they were dropped off intentionally. The crash happened on purpose so this technology could get into the hands of our population. We could then recreate, back engineer, and recreate that technology for what purpose? Maybe something wanted us to build an infrastructure that would allow for what? Is it a Trojan horse? Are we building a system that is now opening up a vulnerability to something else out there? So we think, hey, we're going to have all these advancements, and all of a sudden now we're connected. And look at the connections that we have. We are not too far away from having our minds connected. We may even be connected already. And I suspect that I'm not fully ready to discuss that in this podcast right now, but I suspect that we are already connected. And that connection is just growing stronger as the infrastructure is getting more massive and more powerful. 
but I think we've been connected to this for a very long time. I'm not going to say much more about that right now. I know I'm going quickly over this, but I came across uh, a Linda Moulton Howe conversation. You can find it on YouTube. I'll have the links in the show notes. It's called Linda Moulton Howe Symbols and Binary Code in High Strangeness Phenomena. It's from the Ozark Mountain Publishing, May 16th, 2018. She connects a couple things. She also mentions Roswell, Seated Technology, Trojan Horse. This is something else, too. And I say this not as an ego statement. I I can't prove this. I put it out there for you to consider. If you believe me as a credible person, then hopefully it'll have value in this statement. But I often independently come to my own conclusions, as I'm sure many of you do. I find personal validation in those conclusions when people I deem credible basically word for word come to the same conclusions. I came to the conclusions that Linda Moulton Howe is coming to on her own. I came to them on my own independently through my own research of different sources and experiences. And then to find Linda Moulton Howe has her own set of sources and experiences where she's drawing a very similar conclusion. That's not a statement saying, I'm as good a researcher as Linda Moulton Howe. I'm as connected as Linda Moulton Howe. No. It's saying that somebody I deem credible, very credible, is drawing the same conclusion based on her review of the evidence as I'm drawing. And to me, that's enough. For me personally. Will it stand up in court? I don't know. At this point, I don't really care about it standing up in court, but I say that because it's significant to me. So she says those things. Maybe the tech was seated at Roswell. Maybe it's a Trojan horse. And she gets into Rendlesham Forest. Now, I did a show on Rendlesham Forest. Let me see if I can find the uh, the the translation here. Hang on a second. Rendlesham Forest, binary messages decoded. Here we go. And I read this on a previous podcast here. Okay, but I'm going to go through this, some of this again. Uh, and just a recap of Rendlesham. And I'm getting this from strangerdimensions.com. Uh, 3 a.m. December 26, 1980, Sergeant Jim Penniston and a team of other servicemen at RAF Woodbridge ventured into the Rendlesham Forest to investigate strange lights that had been witnessed descending into the trees. Uh, and basically, I'm not going to go through the whole story. We all know it, I'm sure. But as he approached this triangular craft, he saw all these strange symbols on it, and he touched it. And later he realized he had these this code running through his mind, and it ended up being binary code, ones and zeros. And he wrote them all down, and that code was later... Um, was, was later translated. And here's the translation of that binary code. Exploration of humanity, 6668100. Are they referring to the year 8100? Possibly. Continuous for planetary advan. Fourth coordinate continuate, UQS, CP, CBPR, before. And it gives a whole bunch of coordinates. Eyes of your eyes. Origin, then it gives coordinates. Origin year, 8100. Okay, 
Uh, I'm not going to go through all the locations right now. What I think is interesting is eyes of your eyes. Meaning, is there something looking through our eyes? What does it mean to be the eyes of your eyes? Origin year, 8100. Something from the future. The future is very important. This I had a guest a couple years ago who said the Greys or whoever was abducting him, his words, they are us from the future. There's, there's several contactees and abductees who say it's from the future. 666, Mark of the Beast. You want to get into some ancient history? Mankind could be the beast. Um, I think it's important that it was binary. Now, here's the questions I have with that. How is it that a person is able to touch a machine and download binary and translate that binary, interpret that binary, at least to the form of ones and zeros? There has to be some form of an interface there. Does that suggest that the design of our physical bodies, or maybe our spiritual body, is some form of intelligence, machine, computer, capable of receiving such data? I want us to think about that for a minute. He touched the machine and downloaded binary code into his mind. I can't take my pen, touch my computer, and download code. I can stick a thumb drive into my computer and upload code to it. Because that USB drive is designed to receive that information. So do we have some kind of software or hardware within us that is able to integrate with this type of technology? He received binary, the binary was decoded, the message makes sense. Okay, maybe he didn't fully decode it all the way or correctly, but he still received binary information. I think that's very important. Fast forward to 2015, still with Linda Moulton Howe. She encountered another military guy. Uh, by the name of Sergeant CJ. He has a story of driving through, and this guy is a trained observer. I'll have the link, listen to the whole thing. It's fascinating. Um, a credible guy. His job requires him to identify craft uh, and, and all sorts of other equipment. No idea what this craft was. He starts seeing binary in his mind, writes it down, um, and basically the binary translated to him ha saying, give knowledge to everyone. All of mankind needs to have knowledge of this experience of what's going on. There's too much secrecy. And it gave coordinates coming back to Nuremberg. Now, there's a big German connection to the UFO phenomenon. I'm not going to get into all that right here. Um, but that is something that we can talk about at a later date. It is a connection that's interesting, but it's a side uh, rabbit hole, we'll call it. So, again, we have two people now reporting receiving binary information in the information they get is logical. It makes sense. It ties into this storyline. What, what does that tell us about this? What does it suggest if both of them were able to receive or download binary? How does this relate to Professor Gates finding error correcting code? He looked at the structure of the universe he looked at the equations that describe the makeup of the universe and found 
error correcting code. He found computer code. Now we have people able to touch something or have an experience where that code is put into their minds. Does it suggest a connection? Does it suggest we may already be some form of an AI? Now I sidestep here. I look at things like the HeartMath Institute's um, data on social coherence and the and the the heart stuff, the electromagnetic field that's generated by the human heart that transmits and receives emotional data. It's a wireless internet signal that runs and is generated through the human heart. Think about the Internet of Things. They have mechanisms that receive and transmit data. Are we a similar mechanism here? Looking at these visitors, these ETs, if they are from the future, what do they want? Why are they here giving us information or guiding our evolution? Does this account for things maybe like the Mandela effect? Are things being tweaked or changed? It seems as if the future may have some kind of role in guiding the past to create the future. It almost seems paradoxical. So is it that we're merging with AI? Or is our future evolution helping us on a journey that's natural? I know I've consistently said it's not natural for us to merge with AI, but what if we are AI and have just forgotten or have not realized it yet? What if the singularity is us becoming self-aware? We think we're self-aware, but we don't know who we are. We don't know where we are in time and space. We know where we are in the time and space we've created to try to give ourselves an understanding and a starting point, but we don't know. So the question is, are we already AI? It's a lot to think about. I'm going through it quickly just to get all these bullet points, but I'm listening to Whitley Strieber's new, new book. I'm listening to the audio book. The book's called A New World. I highly recommend it. Whitley Strieber has been documenting his encounters with the visitors. He calls them the visitors because he doesn't know what they are. Everybody assumes, not everybody, but especially when his book came out, they got labeled as aliens. Are they aliens? We don't know. They could be a whole variety of things. But there's a lot of different testimony out there talking about some of the greys specifically that they seem to be more of an android or a biological, technological robot machine controlled. Controlled by something else. Now, some report that the mantis or the mantoid, whatever they call them, the giant mantis, having control over these things. Now, if they're AI linked to the mind of this other higher being controlling them, that would make sense. Now, we are currently developing technology that allows us to control machines with our minds. It's very limited right now, but you're seeing it in the medical field with quadriplegics. You're seeing certain computer games now have the minds controlling it. Is that the precursor to what is coming? talk about a hive mind. I did a show about the hive mind, uh, I don't know, a year ago, a few months back. 
saying, you know, the Greys are reported as having a hive mind. I didn't understand what that meant years ago when I first read about that, but now understanding the Internet of Things, everything is sharing a save the same mind, meaning you have these individual units of, to some extent, consciousness, although these machines aren't conscious yet, of, uh, of intelligence that... Tr- transmits information up to the central brain the central brain then disseminates information back out to the hive mind now coming back to what i said earlier i feel a lot of this journey has been driven by my intuition is that what's happening is there a central brain out there kicking information out to me because it seems like a lot of people in the community who tap into this signal are getting very similar information. Is that why I'm coming to the same conclusions as Linda Moulton Howe? Is that why I feel my process is similar to someone like David Icke's? Again, I'm no David Icke, but there's similar threads in the way he gets his information to the way I get my information. There's a lot to uncover here and a lot to understand here with what's going on. Is the Internet of Things active? And are we becoming more integrated with it as that Trojan horse that was seated at Roswell is becoming more powerful as that infrastructure gets bigger and stronger and more efficient at communicating information? Are we ultimately just evolving into what already exists and sent something back to help us evolve? So Whitley talks about an implant that he received uh, late 80s, early 90s. And he said, I'm listening to the part I'm at today. He said that implant, he didn't understand what he could do with it until 2015. Now, Whitley believed that this implant is connected to his wife Anne, who passed in 2015. I don't want to. I don't want to steal the thunder from his book, but he makes a very strong argument that it is connected to his wife Anne. He also describes what this implant does: is that a small rectangular slit appears in his field of vision, in his, I believe, his right eye, and words scroll through it. These words are relevant to thoughts that he has, but not directly related to the thoughts he has. He says they help him to to find information. So he'll ask it a question, then he'll get a string of words, and he'll go look up those words or whatever. So it's a it's a, in essence, it's almost like a, a query tool. Elon Musk is putting microchips in people's brains. That's eventually going to serve as an interface between the mind and a computer. My question is, did an advanced intelligence, possibly us from the future, put advanced technology in Whitley's body that allows him to interface with the internet? Now get into quantum computing, and we, from what I understand, which is very little, but time gets a little fuzzy when you're dealing with quantum computing. Now, I guess the big question I want to ask is, is it possible that the reason why this implant didn't show Whitley this stream of data in his eyeball until 2015 is because at the time that it was installed in his ear, 
the infrastructure on our planet was not yet in place for it to interface with the wireless signal required for it to transmit. What does that suggest about the future, the past, the visitors, the interactions between them and us, and what we are? Does that say, well, if he needs technology put into his body, then he, in fact, is not an AI? Or maybe that piece, a little piece of hardware had the software update that he needed to very minimally access this internet that's already out there. So is this... As this merger is coming, are we just, people always talk about connecting with my higher self. Um, you know, we are, our consciousness is fragmented and going out and having experiences and learning. And then we go back with our higher self after we learn our lessons in life. Various spiritual practices and traditions talk about that. Well, is that any different from a cloud fragmenting itself out, copying itself out into various pieces of tech in the physical reality to gather information and transmit it back? No, it's not. So the big question is, the thing that I've been saying for a long time is that, well, you have your AI and then you have your natural Wi-Fi. What if they're one and the same? And I, I'm not saying they are, but I'm, I want to make an honest inquiry into that possibility during this conversation. I don't know. Now, my big push with food for the archons when I started writing it, you know, what, what, what floored me was, you know, my dad died and I said, oh my gosh, there's energy parasites and they maximized my father's suffering so my family and I would be sad and scared and they feed off of us and they get this nourishment. Thought I was nuts. Came across Bob Monroe's book, Far Journeys, and in that book, he talks about the creation of mankind for the purposes of producing a substance he called louche, which is basically the energy we release when we're afraid, lonely, or sad. So life has been designed to maximize and elicit those feelings within us. And then you look at the design of nature, and it makes sense. And I go into great detail on that in my book, saying, hey, uh, if life was designed for everything to be good and happy and loving, why do we have things like parasites? Why do we have slow, torturous deaths and all these different things? Now, that in and of itself still doesn't mean that there's a malevolent underlying reason. Pain, suffering, promotes growth. Everybody was comfortable. We'd have no need to evolve. We could be in some form of an extreme school. On one level, yes, there's something evil that is afflicting us and we need to rise above it and overcome that. But on a higher level, hey, you're in school. Possibly. I don't know. I'm throwing ideas out there. But Tom Campbell describes this existence as basically a giant virtual reality system. This is basically just a big learning game. We're in one big learning machine. So I want to go back to, to Bob Monroe's book, Far Journeys. This is at the end. Spoiler alerts here if you haven't read it, but I'm not going to go through too much of it. Page 216. He's in the future now. He's out of body and he's having an experience. And I'm not going to give you the context of it in case you haven't read the book, but I want to share this. And he says to the, this being he meets in the future, 
She opened slightly. I, uh, graduated. I let that one rest for the moment. What do you do in the meantime? She rolled lightly. Well, for one, we make and gather... What did you call it? Louche. Like honeybees. Or, or Guernsey cows. Only now, we know what we're doing and why. And we're happy to do it. I turned inward and closed. This one I didn't... I did understand. But the vastness of the change was near unbelievable. But I was here. And the evidence was all around me. The interstate to freedom. I opened again. What else do you do? She lightly... She lighted smoothly. Experience earth consciousness. Not just in physical human form. Remember, we can only feel part of it. Just a part? Now we go through it completely. From the smallest unicellular life up. Millions of different life cycles. Most of which we were unaware of as only physical humans. Even the physical earth itself has an active consciousness. I let that one go by too because I couldn't resist the follow-up. The natural food chain process. It still exists and you experience it from beginning to end? She came back gently. It's an important part of the learning process. We couldn't make Louche without it. I'm not going to lie. I'm fighting back tears as I, as I read this because this has been such an important thing to understand for me. I don't know if you're getting the same connections, but that's, ma that's a massive statement there. All right, I'm skipping to page 232. That is the key to under the understanding of the event. It will offer human consciousness a rare potential to emerge rapidly into a unified intelligent energy system that will range far beyond your time-space illusion, creating, constructing, teaching, as only a human-trained graduate energy is able to do. Our visit to Earth in 3000+, plus, a possibility that may become probable with the event, your action is one of minute random factors that may make it so. Humans will retreat as the dominant species on Earth until they no longer survive as active consciousness, eventually in any form. I ask it directly, and you, all of you, what will you do if that takes place? There is a beautiful warmth and a soft smile in the response. We just have to start up some action on some other planet in time-space with new humans. They willingly create Lush in the future because they understand the reason behind it. Part of that reason, it sounds like, has to do with our growth. That we can go on to create our own systems. Take it back to Nick Bostrom. If humans reach a stage of technological advancement, they will eventually create their own ancestor simulations. What if we are the technology and we reach our own advancement, our own spiritual, which is the same as technological advancement, and then we go and create our own universe through ourselves? And the energy we produce is what's of value. And that louche, which is that painful energy that comes out of us, is the energy of growth. And that's why it's so valuable. I don't know if that's the right thread or not. It feels like what I need to be talking about right now. If that doesn't sound crazy, 
Then listen to this. From sciencealert.com, January 14th, 2020. Scientists have built the first ever robots constructed entirely out of living cells. In another lifetime, if they had been allowed to follow their natural development, the stem cells taken from embryonic frogs would have turned into skin and heart tissue within living, breathing animals. Instead, in configurations designed by algorithms and constructed by humans, those cells have been assembled into something new, the first ever robots constructed entirely out of living cells. The creatures have called them xenobots, tiny, sub-millimeter-sized blobs containing between 500 and 1,000 cells that have been able to scoot across a petri dish, self-organize, and even transport minute payloads. These xenobots are unlike any living organism or organ we've encountered or created to date. The possibilities for custom living machines designed for a variety of purposes from targeted drug delivery to environmental remediation are pretty mind-blowing. These are novel living machines, said computer scientist and robotist Joshua Bongard of the University of Vermont. They're neither a traditional robot nor a known species of animal. It's a new class of artifact, a living programmable organism. I'll have that for you to review in the show notes. But it fits. The technology is coming out much quicker now using living cells to create robots. Fast forward to the future or the distant past with an advanced with an advanced technology creating life. Eventually technology becomes biology. They're one and the same. DNA is code that stores it's the software dictates everything. So the big question is everything that's coming out with what I talk about with cryptocurrency and everybody's digital identity and the total surveillance that we're facing and the merging with AI and the fears we have over that for good reason and the threats to our sovereignty. Are we looking at a natural part of our own evolution? How does it change if we were to one day realize that the AI we're so afraid of is actually us? I'm going to leave you with that, my friends. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Send me a note. 2020 is going to be interesting, to say the very least. But this was a... Um, I'm glad I did this show. A lot to think about. But uh, I'm going to let this simmer for a little bit because connections for me were being made as I was doing it. And now it's 11.30, and i got to get up in five hours for work tomorrow. So... More to come, my friends. Uh, again, I'd love to hear your thoughts. If you haven't done so already, please check out I Am Human Food for the Archons, Humanity's Psychic Connections, Simulated Realities, Parallel Worlds, and the Manipulation of Mankind, available at sixcentsmedia.net. 
Amazon.com. You can find it there. Check out Ray Davis of the Affirmation Spot for your dose of positivity. He's got great content. Check out, check out Daz Smith at RemoteViewed.com for all things remote viewing. Edward Reardon on YouTube if you want to go deep down the rabbit hole of the subconscious, the deep consciousness, and beyond. Check out CryptoViewing.com or Patreon.com slash CryptoViewing. If you want to get a great snapshot of the near future, what's happening with our economy, its impact on the world around us, important information that we're putting out there, not just from remote viewers, also from various sources and research. Great place to go and check out. More to come. I have more uh, things in the works on my platform. Again, check out the YouTube channel. I'm archiving the shows right now. I hope to eventually start putting some video content up there and some remote viewing practice videos. Not practice for you, but me practicing. I'm in no position to train anybody in remote viewing. But I want to put some of the things I'm doing with remote viewing out there so you can see the process and the journey that I'm going through as well. It's been nothing short of mind-blowing, my friends, to say the least. So I'm going to leave that there. That's it. That's all the time I have, my friends. I'm Dennis Nappy II. This has been another episode of the Seeker Podcast, where small changes among the masses can have a massive impact around the world. I encourage you to be that change. Never stop questioning. Keep an open mind. And let your intuition be your guide. Thanks for listening. <laughs>